Good. Okay, cool. So we can go live. And what is up, everybody? We are live in the first of two live streams that we'll be doing today in the Data on Kubernetes community. This is live stream number 139. We'll be getting the live stream 140. Before we get started, just a couple of quick announcements. No coincidence that we are with somebody who has been in various Data on Kubernetes days. Uh, because we will be having our next date on Kubernetes Day in Detroit in KubeCon on October 24th. So just going to leave the CFP here so that you can send in your CFPs. It's never too early to get these things started. Um, get your talks in. This event will be fully hybrid. We are also accepting sponsorships. So if you're interested in doing that, let us know. It's going to be really, really good. And then speaking of things that are really good, and also it's nice to be with someone, like I said, who's been with us for a very, very long time, is that... Uh, in terms of Kubernetes resources, someone made a list recently of the top 12 Kubernetes resources, and we were listed as number two. Normally, coming second isn't exactly the most desirable thing or outcome someone might be expecting, but we're pretty happy about it. All right, the one that came in first is the Kubernetes podcast from Google, which I've been a longtime fan of. Shout out to Craig Box for doing an amazing job. But we're very happy about the quality, not just the quantity, but obviously the quality of the content that we're creating here is what's getting us into that position. And further from that too, which is also a segue into today's talk, is the data on Kubernetes landscape. If you have not checked that out yet, please do so. So you can see the different kinds of technologies that we're looking at that are being featured that in, in our live streams and the content that we're doing, making this concept of writing stateful workloads easier. That being said, I've been speaking a lot about our speaker today without mentioning him by name. His name is Sergey Pronin. He has an interesting job at Percona, and he can tell us about that. Sergey, welcome back. Very nice to see you. Hey, hello, Bart. Nice intro. <laughs> Congrats <laughs> on the second place. Thank you. Yeah, second place is not the first, but I still believe that's awesome, right? Yeah. I started my interactions with you, okay, when you just started. Right. Pretty much. And it was two years ago or something yes, like that. It was, yeah, we've been around. We've been around. So I got involved in the community in September of 2020. The community oh. itself, the first live stream was in July of 2020. And then I got in a couple months after that. And when I started, we were about 100 people on Slack. And now we're yeah. about 3,000. And this is, like I said, live stream number 139. Um, so yeah, things have things have been moving quite quickly in a very short period. Of yeah, time. yeah. That's awesome progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As for me, I am a group product manager at Percona. My main focus is around our Kubernetes operators, Kubernetes storage, the whole cloud native databases. And also I help a couple of product managers at Percona to thrive and build their products. So that's what I do. Very yeah, I can talk all day long about data on Kubernetes, about <laughs> operators, stateful workloads, definitely. So. That's which why is, I, I love joining this talk. Yeah, which is, which is exactly, which is always great news for us uh, because, you know, let's face it, for some people, it's still challenging. What, do, what would you say, you know, just to start out, what do you think as of right now, because you've seen, you know, the, the progress, the growth, the evolution of the community, what would you say are the biggest challenges now as opposed to what they were in the past? What do you think are the biggest things that are going to be driving the conversations as we move forward? I believe in the past, it, the challenge was mostly around back because the operators were not that mature data on kubernetes was kind of scary and so on and security will i lose my data will it stay what's about consistency and so on and now we see technologies are moving forward but we still see uh, I believe the biggest challenge nowadays is the concern, still this concern. Okay, do I really want to run my databases there? They're pretty fine on VM. They're pretty fine on RDS. Why would I move them to Kubernetes? And that's the question that administrators are asking themselves. But once they see, okay, yeah, it works. Wow, and I can do this thing. I can do that thing. Oh, it's awesome. Wow, what about stability? Let me go and listen to what Sergey says on the DOK podcast, right? <laughs> no, but I think, it, I it think it's a good point, though. Like you said, is that the technical challenge is what it is. The human challenge about concern, about not wanting to have to take responsibility in case something goes wrong, those human factors are still very strong. So today we are, we are going to remove those fears, and you're going to be talking about private database as a service. What's that about? Yeah. Private databases as a service is just a tool 
to give developers, to give your applications the flexibility to run and deploy and manage and monitor databases anywhere you want. So compared to public DBAS, it's not in the cloud. It can be in the cloud though, but it can be on-prem, it can be hybrid cloud, it can be on any other cloud. So you don't have any lock-in in this case. And that's what a private database as a service is about. And uh, we, we see more and more companies, enterprise companies, uh, trying to adopt it or moving that direction or other stories that they already have something and it's written in bash or probably some ansible scripts and they have a huge team maintaining all that but they want to have it in a better way not to maintain it all and uh, to have somebody supporting this or some vendor looking after this technology that they use on on their day-to-day -day business all right very very good so once again the flexibility the versatility you know it's no coincidence on on thursday actually going to be hanging out with matt yankovic from percona in oh. london because we're yeah. having an event where we're talking about you know the once again the the importance of having things working in a multi-cloud environment people not wanting to be stuck with just one vendor at the enterprise level like you said wanting to have those different options to be able to move around these are the things we're going to be looking at today. So that being said, if you want to start sharing your screen, we can take it from there. As usual, folks in the audience, if you've got questions, please put them in the chat. If not, Sergey is always available. Well, not, I don't want to say always available. Free uh, when he is available, he's very highly available, like a good database. Um, in in our Slack channel, if you have questions, you can ask him there directly. Um, but like I said, feel free to put anything in the chat, sure, and we can and we can get to that uh, during the live stream. Okay. I'll share just out the screen, just the full okay. screen, because I'll need to switch to to the demo at some point. Okay, I'll I'll click there. Can you see my screen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have a quick presentation. I don't want to go deep into into the details. Just roughly go through the slides. So what we're going to talk today is evolution of private DBS, at least how we see it at Percona. We're going to talk obviously about operators. I'm going to pitch a bit Percona monitoring and management, our solution that is providing private DBAS, and uh, uh, you'll see why it's cool. And I'm going to show a quick demo, like how it works, what it can do. And also after the demo, I'm going to share what's coming, where are we heading, and so on. So, evolution of private DBAS. So, there, there are these problems that we just discussed with uh, Bart. So uh, whether there is a developer or the application or the business desire to automatically deploy and manage databases somewhere, uh, you need DBAS probably, right? And uh, the beauty of it is that you get a database with some kind of predefined configuration. So you don't need to come up with uh, manual configuration all the time. You have the good integration with your existing tools, like if you use some uh, key management storage, then you can connect a database to it and so on. Uh, and it's done through DBAS. So it's a service, database as a service. And what is more, it's not only about developing the database, but it's also about managing the database. So you have like observability, obviously, out of the box. And you can do lots of maintenance tasks. You can upgrade your database, you can scale it up, you can perform various maintenance tasks, migrations, and so on. Uh, so this, these are the problems that database as a service uh, should solve. But today we're going to talk more about private uh, databases as a service, so it's not about public clouds. Um, so database evolution path looks like this. Usually we see this a lot in lots of companies who work with. Uh, all the companies start with manual, then they, I, I will, on the next slides, I will explore this a bit. So we start with manual database as a service. It's just a super simple one. Then uh, you have some uh, do-it-yourself uh, automation. Uh, then you kind of add some value to it and uh, automate your DBAS with love. And then your database as a service provides some kind of a value. That's the four evolutionary steps of database as a service that we see. So let's start with the first one, manual. It's super simple. 
you have a developer or maybe you have some kind of an application that goes to IT guy. I, I call this IT guy specifically, IT guy. And you say, I need a database. And there is some back and forth, like what kind of database do you need? Um, what kind of backup do you want me to roll out on this database? Uh, what kind of configuration, uh, version, and so on, right? And then this IT guy gathers all this feedback. It takes some time. And uh, all this information goes through approvals. So you need to talk to a manager, a manager of the manager. You need to talk with security team probably to approve all this uh, and the creation of this database. Then you provision a server or a virtual machine for this specific database. Sometimes it's already there, but sometimes it's not. Then you need to configure the database. Then you do some maintenance, right? And it looks like it's prehistoric thing, but there are companies that do things like that. And they do it because these tasks are super rare. So it's like once per month, they need to provision the database or because they just used to do so. And it's, it can be a huge bank with lots of developers and database administrators and the bureaucracy is just crazy. And it's kind of normal to wait for a database server to go up and running for a week or for a month. So believe me, this, this is the, real, the reality in some companies, right? Well, as a result, the developer or the application gets an endpoint, finally, to which uh, you can connect. Well, in, in, in a good case, sometimes you just get an SSH to a server and then you figure it out, but it's rare. Then uh, the automation piece comes in. And instead of an IT guy, probably you're going to talk to service desk, you're going to interact with uh, GitHub. Maybe sometimes even you have some kind of an API or you have a script which was given to you that you need to run and some magic happens in the background. There is some bash code or some infrared code tooling that is going to provision the database. And this is what I was telling about there is this platform team and this platform team does all the magic. They maintaining. They, they maintain all this code that provision and manage the databases. They manage these databases somewhere in the shadows. So even you talk to GitHub or you use some GitOps approach, there is still a platform team that is doing all the heavy lifting. They create the code to make it all work, to glue it all together. And this platform team eventually grows and you have like 15 people managing your database as a service. And this is the, the reality as well. We see this a lot in various companies. And then uh, finally, uh, there is an automation with love, right? What it means is that you still have the same entry points as a developer, service desk, GitHub, GitHub and uh, API. Uh, but in the back end, you do not have some custom code written by the platform team, but you have operators, for example, or you have maybe even public or some other private uh, DBAS. I'm talking about operators because it's DOK, right? Uh, so database operators can be there. But what is important here is that the backend piece is supported by some vendor. Yes, your platform team still needs to integrate it, but they spend significantly less time on uh, working on that, on maintaining things, because all the heavy lifting is done by the vendor. For example, if you use Percona operators or if you use Stackgres operator for Postgres, uh, you don't need to maintain all these things. They just come to you because they are open source and they work out of the box and you just need to ensure that they integrate nicely in your environment, right? And the last piece is added value. It's more or less the same as the previous one, but in this case, you simplify it. You have some kind of user interface or API that you interact with. You still get the database. You can uh, maintain the database through this API, but on top of that, you get additional value. Like you have observability, you have management, you have insights, you have various integrations and uh, you, you can interact with this API and get all this value out of the box. So again, it's not only about 
managing and deploying the database, but it's more. It's insights. For example, you can see which queries are slow. You can fix them on the fly. Uh, you can get security insights about, okay, my database is outdated or it's uh, vulnerable to a specific CVE. Uh, so this type of things. And uh, yeah, it, it's not different from this one, but yeah, here you have a lot of added value. Now operators, just to go super quickly about operators, the operator concept is simple. You have a custom resource definition, uh, which allows you to expand your Kubernetes API. So instead of uh, creating a pod or a stateful set in uh, Kubernetes, you create some other object. So as a user, you create a custom resource and then operator jumps in and uh, does all the heavy lifting. It provisions the database, it configures it, or it can be any other application. So it's just super basic uh, operator entry. And uh, for databases, the operators, again, it's super simple. Operators, they uh, take away the complexity of uh, fr from the developer and any other engineer uh, managing Kubernetes primitives and databases uh, as a whole. So again, instead of uh, creating the pod, a stateful set, so a Kubernetes primitive, you talk to the operator. And here you have an example, I think it's from our MongoDB operator, where you say, I need a replica set, this specific size, I need sharding enabled, I need this number of shards and so on, right? And you just lay down uh, in a custom resource YAML uh, manifest and ship it to Kubernetes and operator does all the heavy lifting. But again, the beauty of the operator is not only deploying the database, but it is also about managing the database. At least most of the operators can do that. Uh, you can scale your database. So you just change this, for example, size from three to five and you have five nodes now and so on. You can take backups, you can upgrade and many, many more. So these are the operators for databases. And this is an interesting slide. Uh, companies running operators for databases. There are many more, but I just picked some of the interesting examples. So for example, a company called PlanetScale, it is the company behind uh, VTAS. Uh, VTAS is a sharding solution for MySQL. And PlanetScale, they use VTAS operator in their cloud offering and they use it in production, obviously. So, and they don't have anything else. It's just their cloud offering is based on the operator. IBM Cloud, maybe it would be a surprise uh, for someone, but uh, once you deploy a database on IBM Cloud, it's deployed through the operator and they have their own operators uh, to deploy databases. Uh, VMware, uh, as you probably know, they have their own uh, database operators for Tanzu. Uh, they are also closed source, so but you can deploy a MySQL cluster or Postgres cluster through some operator on VMware. And CockroachDB, obviously, probably you heard about their operator. It's also production ready, and uh, they chose this road. Broadcom, actually, it's uh, Percona's customer, and they heavily uh, use our operators to uh, provision databases for developers and applications. And they gave a talk recently on Percona Live. So I encourage you to uh, watch it because they talk about the internal infrastructure and how they do that. Pure storage, I think everyone knows here, uh, Portworks, and they recently uh, created the database as a service offering. So they, you can deploy databases on Kubernetes through it. It's very nice. And they said it's many, many more, but these are really nice examples. Um, about the one operators, just quickly, we have uh, currently three operators for MySQL, Mongo, and Postgres. Uh, they are 100% open source. So we at Percona, we do not have any open core model or licenses. Everything is 100% open source. You can download it, you can use it full. Uh, all our operators are feature-rich. So I talked before about maintenance of the databases and management, or operators can do that. And uh, number four here is supported by Percona. So it means that 
not only we create the database and community create uh, write code for our databases and operators, but also we support it as a company. I mean, you can have a support contract with us and so on. You can read more about our operators there on the link. I think Bart is going to share the slides later on. Now going to the fun part, Percona monitoring and management. Uh, it's 100% open source uh, database monitoring tool. Uh, but um, again, it's 100% open source. We use uh, products like Grafana, Victoria Metrics, ClickHouse uh, underneath, and we bundle them together and we have lots of uh, our code written around it so that we can provide it great database monitoring experience. We're not trying to provide a monitoring tool for everything, uh, but we're strongly focusing on uh, databases, specifically on MySQL, Mongo, Postgres, MariaDB. You can monitor cloud instances if you like, and, so, and, and, and many more. Um, and again, it is supported by Percona, uh, and it comes with lots of dashboards with alerting capabilities with advisors which is the insights that i was talking before but an interesting thing here is that one of the ams and pmm stands for management it's the corner monitoring and uh, management so what do we what do we do for management is we introduced database private database as a service capability which allows you to deploy and manage databases on Kubernetes. And we rely on Percona operators in the background. So the workthrough is simple. You, you remember this uh, schematics I was showing before. So the developer or the application interacts with our API, and like, hey, give me a database. And what DBAS functionality does it interacts with Kubernetes APIs through our operators and deploys database clusters. And as a result, your developer or application uh, gets the endpoint to connect to. But on top of it, you also get the built-in observability. You can manage your databases. You can get additional insights. And through our operators, you can also have various integrations like with uh, HashiCorp Vault, or with uh, public clouds and many, many more. And uh, on, I think the next slide is about, yeah, this is going to be the demo. But do you want me to pause a bit and uh, do some Q&A? Sorry, yeah. So you were mentioning something earlier about you know customers. And one of the things that we've encountered different times when we pattern is, some of the doubts that some customers might have. Let's say that they're not familiar with it. You know, some people will also even, I've heard use it, they will say platform instead of operator. So that's a term that it's friendlier. How do you approach the subject of educating customers about operators to empower them to be able to use them themselves? Are there any doubts that come up more often than others? Anything you want to comment on in that regard? Yeah, gladly. I believe that the most common thing that I see as a product manager and as a Procona employee is that companies come to us and uh, they, they are already somewhere uh, here. So they already have some kind of database as a service which they created in-house and they have a platform team which is managing it. But at some point they realize that they're spending too much time and too much money on it. They're trying to maintain what they created, but probably it's not the best approach. And then they start looking at other options. And uh, they usually they already have Kubernetes cluster where they run application uh, or applications, and it is pretty heavily utilized. And they start thinking, okay, can we start databases on this thing? What can we do? And then they found Procona and then they come to us and say, hey guys, can you help us with that? This is the most common thing that I see, right? We, we built our DBAS, it sucks. Well, it works, but it sucks. And we need something better. And we're thinking about Kubernetes, right? Please help us out. And uh, then they go with it, 
right? And uh, we do some POCs and they love it or hate it. <laughs> Definitely not all, you cannot win all the battles, right? Mm -hmm. But if someone is interested in running databases on Kubernetes, uh, they, they would pretty much go that road because, well, they see that technology is mature enough to, to use it. Uh, to, to, to your other point that um, can we persuade someone to run on Kubernetes if they are not on Kubernetes, if they have never heard, that's harder one. Because uh, if they do not, if the company does not have any Kubernetes expertise whatsoever, definitely it's a bit scary because they need a Kubernetes architect or at least an engineer who is going to support them on this journey even if they would run on a managed Kubernetes cluster somewhere in public cloud, you still need at least some level of Kubernetes knowledge. Uh, and that, that, that scares them off a bit, right? And uh, definitely there are uh, things that we're working on that we, we want to simplify this journey completely with our PMM, where you click a button, you get a cluster, a Kubernetes cluster, and then you get the best on this cluster up and running and we're moving towards this journey, but still it's a bit scary. Uh, I think, right, if you don't know the platform, probably you don't want to use it. But, you know, I I, I think DOK survey shows that how much 80% of companies are using Kubernetes already and I believe 70% are running stateful workloads there. It's yep. a big number, right? So going forward, this number is going to grow and this journey would be much smoother. Very, very good points there. And and like you said, it's we we often talk about you know the the, the challenges and sometimes it can be a talent challenge of not having the right people, but that also relates to a knowledge challenge or a gap that's not necessarily there. It's like you said, if they're not familiar with Kubernetes, kind of like one thing at a time and being able to be on the right phase of the journey. One question that that came up that was actually mentioned by a community member before we even uh, earlier today. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe you'll get to this a little bit later in the demo. So if you want to address it later, that's fine. But regarding, you know, touch data, you know, data security, um, uh, encryption at rest and data protection options when using, you know, we're going to be talking about private databases as a service. Is that something you would mm -hmm. like to address now or you prefer to get to later in the demo? No, I, I can address now. I, okay. I, I don't have it planned in the demo, but we can do that. Um, the thing is for Procorna specifically, I'm not sure if I can talk about other companies, but for Precorna, what we do is we take our database software and we have MySQL, Mongo, and Postgres, and we run it on Kubernetes. And whatever capabilities our database software provides, we are doing our best to maintain the parity of these capabilities on Kubernetes. So if you have data rest encryption for MySQL, you're going to have it on Kubernetes with the our operator, right? Uh, and uh, I, I love to say that this is this is this uh, evolutionary journey where you start started with bare metal servers, then it was VMs, then it was containers, and now it is Kubernetes. And it's just moving a technology from one platform to another. And if this technology supports this well, it's going to run on Kubernetes as well. Definitely Kubernetes introduces a lot of bits and pieces. Uh, it has a lot of moving parts. It's volatile. Nodes are going up and down all the time, and it's kind of normal. Uh, but uh, our operators and many other operators in the community that you would see, they, they are ready for that. They are ready to support your database consistency and data consistency on, on Kubernetes, no matter what. Perfect. All right. Well, that being said, if you want to jump into the demo, go for it. Yeah, yeah, it will be brief. Okay. Let me scroll down this slide. And... Okay, I'm, I'm going to do a live demo. Uh, usually I don't do that. So that hopefully it's going to go, go well. Okay. I'll uh, open my console. So what I have here is, uh, do I need to make the phone a bit larger? Yeah, if you okay? can make it just a little bit bigger, that'd be great. Better? Yep. Okay. Okay. So what I have here is I have white fresh GKE cluster. Uh, it's a simple Kubernetes cluster, nothing fancy here. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to add our Helm repository and I'm going to install uh, PMM. I'm going to expose it a bit. Service type load balancer on a PMM. So what, what is going to, okay, let's wait a bit. Okay, so what it's going to do, it's going to deploy corner monitoring management on Kubernetes. It just deploys a stateful set, uh, state SDS, yeah, SDS, okay. Yeah, and it's also creating uh, services. So you see, it's going to create a load balancer service so that I can connect to a three public IP, probably not a good idea if you're running this in uh, production. Let's see. It's going to take some time, I guess, because you need to fetch uh, the image. But I want to do this. Yeah, it's pulling. Yeah, for PMM, uh, PMM has lots of components in it. It is uh, Grafana, it is ClickHouse, it is Postgres. Uh, and uh, it is Victoria Metrics for time series. And uh, currently we have it all in uh, one container. Um, specifically, if you want to break it down into smaller chunks, we are going to work on that. I'm going to talk about it a bit later. Uh, but uh, we, we have a plan to break it down into full microservices architecture so that uh, you can scale it properly and do all the all the things that you want. So let's see if it's up and running. Yes, it's up and running. So what I need to do now is I need to connect this IP address, but before doing that, I need to get a password. Once you install, oh, password. Once you install uh, PMM, it is randomly generating the password for admin user and uh, it is stored in this secret object. It's here. So it's base 64. You can do it with me, by the way. I don't mind. Code. Let me do echo again. Yeah, so this would be my password, and this would be my entry point. So I'll need to log in here. Let's see. I'll copy paste it to my. Uh, where is my presentation? Here. Okay. Okay, I, I don't have any, I have, we have some self-scientificate, but you can use your own, which would be valid, but I'm going to proceed here. Okay, I'm gonna use this password. Admin and password. Yeah, I'm logged in. Good, so now I'm logged in. This is Procona Monitoring and Management. Uh, what I need to do right now to show you the full power of it is to enable DBAS. So the way it works is you need to do it here. It's a tech preview feature, so we kind of disable it by default and we'll need public address just in case. Okay. So now you're going to have this one, right? And uh, if you remember on my slide, I was talking that. Uh, DBAS uh, in PMM, it interacts with uh, Kubernetes API here, right? To provision the databases uh, with operators. So what I need to do now is I need to register a Kubernetes cluster here. Um, I can use the same GKE cluster. Uh, let me try to do that. Because with GKE, it's a bit trickier, but I'll try uh, easy. Let me do this quickly. Make it work. Yeah, probably I'll need to create some rules. Okay, no, let's let's do the following thing. We're going to do the following. We're going to create a brand new SIVO uh, cluster. Anyone ever used SIVO? Okay, I'm I'm asking Bart here. Okay, but. I don't oh, know. Definitely, we, we've definitely got plenty of SIBO people for sure. Okay. Yeah. So 
I, I love Sivo a lot because uh, it's uh, super simple and it's super fast. Um, I, I do a lot of experiments on it because I can provision a Kubernetes cluster like in a minute or something like that. Uh, I'm going to just create a brand new so you, you would not think that I'm cheating or something. Okay, I'm going to create, let's create large and create a cluster. So let's wait a bit. So while it's creating, um, what can I show you else? Yeah, while it's creating, I, I can show you this uh, nice menu. It's actually super simple. Uh, you register a Kubernetes cluster here, and also we support, uh, we have an integration with Amazon EKS. So instead of uh, putting your config file, you can put just keys here and it's going to uh, uh, register uh, your Kubernetes cluster on EKS. We're gonna provide more integrations here and on the later phases, probably we're going to uh, create uh, Kubernetes clusters automatically uh, on the clouds, but it's not there yet. And with databases cluster, I don't think I can show you much here because we don't have anything here. We first need to uh, register a Kubernetes cluster. So let's see how it's going with Sivo. You see 64 seconds elapsed time. So it takes like a couple of minutes usually to provision a cluster. I'm going to wait for this one. Bart, any questions in uh, YouTube for now? Uh, nope, so far so good. Okie dokie. Looks like the demo gods are on your side. For now, yes. It's kind of surprising. I usually try to pre-record the demo on ASCII Cinema or something like that. <laughs> but this time I decided to go live, so let's see. No, it's nice to see how quickly that cluster is building. Yeah, I really love it. Like sometimes I need to test something on uh, EKS and it takes me usually 20 minutes to create a cluster. Mm. And sometimes I'm getting frustrated when it's not getting created from the first try because I missed some uh, some uh, permission on my IAM role mm. and I need to start from scratch. Yeah, but here it's super fast. Okay. Hopefully we have not jinxed it. Just finishing up. something okay add the payment oh come on no no where did i click where's my kubernetes clusters oh come on something went terribly wrong just now okay i'll do it another way then Sorry. I'll do, I'll do the EKS then. Oh, sorry, GK. Okay, it's gonna take uh, a couple of seconds. Easy. I'm I'm going to copy paste some commands from another screen. The problem with uh, GKE is that once you have a GKE cluster, then probably you have some bullshit here. Yeah, you have config helper and so on, and you need it to be installed on uh, DBAS or, or on PM instance, and uh, I don't have it. So I'm going to simplify it. I'm going to create uh, a, a role on my Kubernetes cluster that I'm going to use in DBAS later on. So we have this, uh, let me see. Now I'll close this one. 
yeah, we have this easy gate script, which actually provisions an Amazon EKS cluster, but what it does as well, it creates some service accounts. Uh, probably not a good choice if we talk about production, but I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to create some cluster roles and role bindings that are going to grant me access to my uh, Kubernetes cluster and that would allow my database as a service to provision databases. I'm going to just now generate my own cube config here. Okay. And this is going to generate the config. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see again. Yes. Okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to copy paste this config into my database as a service. Not this one. Sorry. This one. Yeah, I'm going to call it demo, keep config file like this and register. What it should do, it should add a Kubernetes cluster to Procona monitoring and management. And what should happen now is PMM is going to install the operators on uh, my Kubernetes cluster. It's my Chiki cluster. And also I think it's going to install Victoria metrics operator because we also uh, monitor our Kubernetes cluster that you register. Yeah, you see it's installing VM agent. It's going to install Victoria metrics operator. But what's in here, you see now I have this Kubernetes cluster registered. It shows that I have these operators, one for PXC, one for MongoDB, and they're both, they, they chose the version and they're both installed. It's the latest versions of the operator. What I can do now is I can create a database. I'll call it demo. I'll choose a Kubernetes cluster. Let's go with MongoDB version 449, okay. And I'm gonna click a single node. Can I do that? Okay, cluster, no, single, okay, cluster, cluster it is. Um, I don't need external access, it's just for demo. You see, I have, I'm using a lot of resources already. So I'm gonna lower it down so that I have some, I have small cluster. That'll do it lower as well, it's fine. So what I'm doing right now is I'm deploying a, a MongoDB cluster on my Jiki cluster through DBAS. I'm going to click create cluster right now. And that should be it. Then, as I said, database as a service is starting to interact with Kubernetes API. What's actually doing is just creates a custom resource here, uh, which is called PSMDB. It's one of the custom resources that our operator uses. Let's see. Yes, it's Procona demo. So we can see it minus O, minus o YAML. And it's just the custom resource definition of our uh, database cluster, which is managed through our operator. So you see, where is it? Yeah, you see we have replica says, it says the size of three. Uh, it has arbiter, it's, but it's disabled, and many more. It's lots of configuration bits and pieces, but they are all hidden for you. You just click a button and you have a database and running, which is awesome. Uh, let's see what's going on here. In here, it's full access to Q&A, so I can see what's happening. The pods have been created in uh, DBAS itself. I see that it's been processing, so it shows some status like how much is done. Uh, also, what is interesting here is uh, this button here. Once I click on it, I'm going to get to the monitoring stats for this specific cluster. So this is another thing that I was talking about. Uh, DBAS is not only about deploying the database, but it's also about monitoring. Right now, you don't have any monitoring stats because it's fresh cluster, but you're going to see lots of graphs here going forward. Okay. So it's still deploying. Is it done? Almost, right? So I have Mongo's. One of my containers is still not fully up. 
four, seven. You see, even a simple MongoDB cluster, uh, it is like nine pods already. It is config servers, it is replica SAS, it is a demo, right? So now the cluster is up and running and uh, this is the password to connect to it. This is the endpoint. I'm not exposing my cluster to the public, but I can do that. And uh, you can now edit your cluster, like you want to add more resources, you can scale it and so on. And uh, more functionality to come, like uh, uh, upgrades, uh, they're also already available, uh, but they are available on the operator level. Once the new version of the operator is available, it's going to notify you here that you need to upgrade. Uh, you can scale, obviously, through editing it. You can restart, suspend, delete, and so on. And yeah, and here you have this uh, monitoring, but again, I don't think we're going to see any data right now, probably. Yeah. So it's fresh cluster, it will take some time. Good. So this is the piece of the demo that I wanted to show. Uh, any questions so far, Bart? Okay. No, it actually good. came up at KubeCon is, you know, when you're talking about you know, metrics monitoring, things of that nature, we often mm -hmm. talk about the roles of practitioners of data on Kubernetes, and we speak about SREs, we speak about DBAs, and then from there also DBREs. The role of, of observability, where, do, you know, if we're talking about people that are in this space, they're going to be working with databases. Is this something that you feel that there's also a knowledge gap where people from the database space aren't as necessarily equipped or trained in the same ways that folks that are more from the sysadmin DevOps uh, SRE side would be? I think so, yes. Uh, definitely databases are not easy. And databases on Kubernetes, they are not easy, but also sometimes they're scary. <laughs> and when you run something like this, you need to ensure that you have proper observability tools in place that you can understand what the heck is happening with my environment right now. And it's our goal as a company, as Percona, and as a community to provide such tools that anyone can use and get valuable insights. Uh, we have lots of iterations on our dashboards. We have here tools like Query Analytics that are quite popular among SREs and uh, database administrators, but it's a ton of work that we can do and uh, lots and lots of improvements can be made, definitely. And it is specific to, I believe, mostly um, troubleshooting because uh, when you have an issue with the database, probably you can quickly uh, debug it by logging in into the database or looking at your stats. But then with Kubernetes aspect, it's a bit more complex because you can have, I don't know, CNI acting up mm -hmm. and you need to debug it somehow. And right now you cannot do it with PMM, for example. Uh, you, you probably, you need to log in into Kubernetes and figure out what's going on. Definitely there are challenges, but... Uh, we're working on overcoming them. I completely agree. I am, I am, I am, I am a positive person. I'm looking ahead and I think we have a bright future ahead. No, I, I, and from everything that you're sharing here right now, I think it just, like you said, the, you know, whether it's Kubernetes or anything else, change in general is something that, you know, we resist and that we, we tend to avoid or hope that somebody else goes first and then we can do it after they do. And for some folks that feel like they're doing things uh, for the first time, it can be it can be challenging. But like you said, looking at things calmly, using the resources that are available and seeing just in this particular space, how far we've come in a short period of time is something that I think that a lot of people agree is comforting. And like you said already is, you know, if the survey from last year, all right, this is the data that we got from last year was, you know, talk, showing these numbers of over, you know, uh, that, you know, 90% of organizations believe that uh, Kubernetes is ready for stable workloads, over 70% are actually already doing it. So, you know, the evidence is, is, is very, very clear in that sense. Um, anything else that you'd like to mention before we finish up? Uh, let me see. Let me see. Probably I had the demo. Uh... Yeah, I wanted to share quickly what is coming. Good. So a couple of things that we want to enhance in uh, PMM and database as a service. So firstly, we want to automatically register Kubernetes cluster. Like once you deploy uh, PMM on Kubernetes, you don't need to go through this register thing. 
uh, and so on, it's going to be automatically registered already, this specific Kubernetes cluster. Now, what you mentioned, like Kubernetes monitoring, and we want to improve on this side of things because uh, if you look at how you do this now, you have a server or you have a VM and you monitor it, but Kubernetes is not a single server, it's a swarm of servers, it's multiple nodes, and you need to be aware of what is happening in your environment as a whole. And we're going to introduce this pretty soon. Uh, another one is uh, onboarding and integrations. What I mean by that is you can do a lot of things with our operators right now, but they're probably not available in uh, the UI uh, here, right? You, you need to do some things manually and want to improve the user experience on that side of thing. We're going to add Postgres operator. You know, we have Postgres operator, but it's not in DBAS yet. Uh, it's pretty easy to add it, but uh, we, we're working on, uh, uh, on polishing things for MySQL and Mongo right now. And another aspect is I mentioned that our Procurement monitoring and management uh, comes with a single container with uh, lots of things in it. And we're thinking of going with uh, microservices architecture. And we see a lot of interests from uh, users and uh, customers with this regard. Yeah, so the conclusion, we covered the evolution of DBAS. We talked about operators. I showed you how private DBAS works. Uh, with uh, PMM and uh, how it interacts with the operators and uh, Kubernetes, and I shared what is coming. That's it. All righty. Uh, well, as usual, Sergey, absolutely fantastic. Very smooth. Did a live demo that wasn't planned. I respect that. Um, in honor of that, can I get you to stop sharing your screen really quickly so I can share mine? Of course. Very, very yeah. good. Good. So as always, you know, as it's tradition, our community, Sergey, this is not your first rodeo. It's not your first live stream with us. Uh, we have our wonderful artist, Angel, who's in the background, diligently creating an artistic depiction of the different concepts that were covered. There was a lot of stuff covered today. Right? We covered a lot of ground. Really nice explanation, too, of operators. We can never really settle that, you know, too much. I think that's something that a lot of folks might have some kind of an idea. We talk about automation. We talk about different things. But that was really, really well explained. As you mentioned, Saturday, the slides will be shared for folks that maybe arrived a little bit late and also just rewind the live stream. Always a pleasure. Always nice to see the new things that are happening in Percona. Um, this conversation kind of started because I saw an article that I believe came out in Forbes, um, which is nice to see too, that the database space is making it into Forbes um, that was talking about commenting on these, uh, these new things that are going on in Percona. Um, so that being said, I will continue my Percona linkage this week with Matt in London. Uh, looking forward okay. to that. And Sergey, hope to see you as, as you did see our, our CFP for, for KubeCon is open. So you definitely check that out. It's never well too early to put those talks in. And uh, like I said, always nice to see you. Great stuff being shared here. Folks, like I said, if you want to continue the conversation, reach out and talk to Sergey in our Slack. And uh, we will all see you soon. We've got another live stream in about 35 minutes. So we might see some people <laughs> twice today. But, uh, but yeah, Sergey, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you.